Hi everyone, welcome to our new series, Mission Japan. This is a new series where we focus on diplomatic missions and embassies that have established relations with Japan, what their history is, the land that they occupy, that the embassy occupies, where that land came from, what was it before the embassy took over, and what is the history of the diplomatic mission. Our inaugural series starts with the Mexican embassy. It is probably one of the oldest missions that has been established in Japan, and today I'm joined by Manuel Trinidad, the cultural attache from the embassy of Mexico. Welcome. Thank you, Timothy. This is your second tour of duty here in the embassy in, in Mexico. Indeed it is. It is my second time in Japan, fortunately. So you were, on your first tour, you were the consul, and on your second tour, you're cultural attaché? Indeed, yes. Okay. That's a big job? It is. It is a big job. Uh, both are quite big. As a consul, you know that uh, people have to be helping your nationals and uh, with everything that might be necessary. Mm -hmm. We're starting this new series focusing on the Mexican embassy because it is Probably, it's so prominent in so many ways that a lot of people just don't realize and, and even acknowledge. And so I think that's one of the reasons we came up with this, this idea on the various diplomatic missions. So is it accurate to say that the mission or the diplomatic relations between Japan and, at that time, New Spain, is the oldest uh, relationship that Japan has had with bilaterally? I think it's one of the oldest. Uh, the friendship between Mexico and Japan started more than 400 years ago. Actually, in 1521, Mexico became New Spain, became a, a Spanish colony. Mm -hmm. And the Spanish were interested at that time in coming to this side of the world. Actually, on the same year, they discovered the Philippines. And then, uh, by 1543, the, the New Spain government started to have expeditions sent to this side of the world, but the problem was that they couldn't go back until <laughs> 1565 when they discover the Kuro Shio, which is the current that comes all the way curves north, up north from the Philippines, north and then curves up and back to the Americas. So that was what it was called the Torna Vuelta, the turnaround, the go coming from Mexico and going back to Mexico. And that made possible the Manila Acapulco Galleon. So did you just say that New Spain discovered the Philippines? The Philippines were discovered by Spanish explorers, but... Coming around the other way, right? Coming uh, from Spain through the um, Cape of Good Hope. Okay. And then, but once the colony, the Spanish colony was established in the Philippines, the Philippines was governed from the New Spain. That okay. means Mexico. Just to remember that during 300 years, Mexico was actually called New Spain mm -hmm. because it was a Spanish colony. Right. Uh, well, the point is that the, the, the Manila Acapulco Galleon was going for about 250 years and the trade flourished in between uh, this, the, the Pacific side or the Asian side of the Pacific and the American side of the Pacific because... There was big trade in uh, silk, textiles, and ivory, um, porcelain. ivory, porcelain, pottery, many of those things. Spices. Uh, spices as well. While um, we're, they were carrying back silver and gold. And particularly silver is very interesting because the Spanish first started to uh, mint coins that would call pieces of eight. Mm -hmm. 
that ended up uh, becoming the currency for trade in the whole East Asia, particularly in China and in Japan until uh, the 19th and early 20th century. So it was actually minted Spanish? Minted initially in Spain, then in Mexico City. And yeah, it was minted then. Uh, and all these coins were used for trade in mm -hmm. China and in Japan. Okay, so getting back to how this mission started. So yeah. ships would leave, galleons would leave from Acapulco, Acapulco and they yeah. would sail, they'd follow the trade winds, they'd come this way, but to they Manila. couldn't come back because the current was going, the, the prevailing winds were going in a different direction. Yeah. And it took them a while before they figured out, go north, hit these funny islands that are called Japan today, and around maybe Chiba or probably up towards Sendai, they would cut back, tack, and hit the United States probably right around where San Francisco is now. Uh, yes, something like that, and then heading south, uh, following the, the North American coast, okay. back to Acapulco. Uh, then, the, initially, the um, Japanese government, or the, what was existed at that time, right. uh, was a bit worried of the, the, the Philippines, of having the, the Spanish empire so close. But in, by uh, the time the Tokugawa shogunate was established, they were interested in, in trading with the Philippines. There were Japanese uh, trading people there, established in Manila. Mm -hmm. And there were some talks between the Manila government and the shogunate to, to find ways to trade. Because for the, for the Manila boats going back to Mexico, Japan was kind of convenient um, uh, as ports. Sometimes they needed ports to be secure in times of typhoons or things like right. that. So the point is that by 1609, the governor of the Philippines, who was actually born in the New Spain, so he was born in Mexico, in, in Mexican territory, um, got, uh, uh, was going back to Mexico and his ship was wrecked in front of the coast of Shiva. And uh, he was actually rescued by people in Onjuku and taken to the Shogun. His name was Don Rodrigo de Vivero. This is really re quite rare, isn't it? I, most of the times when they had shipwrecks, if foreigners were washed up, they, they usually killed them or imprisoned them, right? Uh, indeed, but Don Rodrigo de Vivero had been in, in talks with the Tokugawa shogunate before. Okay. So he was basically known in Japan. So And this was right outside of Chiba, right? So uh, it yes. was on its way to tack back to San Francisco and make and its way back down to down New Spain. To Mexico. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was taken to meet the shogun. He stayed for about uh, six to seven months, went all the way around Japan. And the shogunate provided him with a boat that was built by the famous William Adams. Okay. The, the uh, Anjin Mura. The fellow who was made famous in the... In the shogun in the book. books and right. uh, TV films. Anjin-san. Anjin Mura-san. Who, yeah. knew, who knew about gunpowder and knew how to build these sailing ships. How to build sailing ships. these sailing ships, indeed. Right. So he built a ship for uh, him to go back. And then... The New Spain government, when he arrived and was all um, giving account of how Japan was uh, 
ready to start negotiating about trade and so on, sent another envoy who was not that diplomatic, unfortunately. And the negotiations didn't go that well. That sort of thing still happens today, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it does. <gasps> uh, but it ended up in uh, the shogunate deciding to send an embassy all the way to Spain and Rome in 1613. That was called the Keicho Embassy and was headed by uh, Tsunenaga Hasekura. And he headed this embassy and went all the way from Sendai, left Sendai, and then all the way to Acapulco, and then up to Mexico City, then to Veracruz, then Seville, Madrid, and Rome to see the Pope, and then back from Italy, back to Madrid, Seville, Veracruz, Mexico City, Acapulco, Manila, and Japan. Wow. That entire trip took seven years. But it's, it's considered one of the first or the first diplomatic mission that Japan sent to the Western world. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the, what we call the basis of the 400 years of friendship between uh, Japan and Mexico. How about that? That's, that's a terrific story. Yeah, it was, it was really, really good. Uh, there, there are still uh, some Japanese people remain in Mexico mm -hmm. that they have been tracked by uh, Mexican academics. And how in uh, 16th and 17th centuries, Mexico, there were some Japanese people mm -hmm. living there. But unfortunately, the, the Hasekura embassy coincided with a time when the shogunate had already decided to, to close the borders, close right? Close the borders. So they didn't yeah. want to have any more trade. They didn't so, want these Mexicans coming in. No. They didn't want even the Portuguese. They, not the Portuguese. They restricted them not to, the Spanish. to a single island, didn't they? They restricted all the foreigners, particularly the Dutch and the Portuguese, to a single island of Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the country was basically closed off. And that lasted for what? And that lasted Two, until 300 years? the mid Until Commodore Perry showed up, right? Indeed. Okay. And that's also a very interesting story because it more or less coincides, the modernization of Japan coincides with the modernization of Mexico. Yes, it does. And yeah. by the 1867 and 1868, Mexico was recovering from uh, civil wars and invasions and uh, years of uh, conflict. And Japan was starting the major restoration. And there was this mutual interest. Mm -hmm. In 1874, I think, yep, uh, there was this uh, opportunity that a scientific mission from Mexico came to Japan to observe the uh, Venus. The passing of Venus. The passing right. of Venus through the sun. And they went back to Mexico and reported that Japan was modernizing and it was a very interesting country. And more the point that in Japan, it was still used as currency, the Mexican coins, silver coins called piece of eight. Wow. And that was very important because the coins were actually minted in Mexico City. So the Mexican government decided to explore the opportunities, the trade opportunities that Japan may offer, and started to negotiate with Japan to establish diplomatic relations. And this is one probably one of the most important points in our story, mm -hmm. that at that time, most of the diplomatic relations that Japan had with the world 
that were established in the 1850s and 60s were unequal treaties, were treaties in which Japan were granting uh, foreign nationals living in Japan the rights not to be judged by Japanese courts and not to pay Japanese duties in Japanese customs. All these were, the, there were courts and customs establishing consular officers. But Mexico agreed with Japan to sign a treaty on equal terms. It took several years of negotiations in Washington, D.C. So somewhat different than all of the other treaties all being enforced the, upon it. All the treaties that were enforced upon Japan. And also at that time, wasn't um, Mexico as well as Japan looking for some leverage against this big brother to the north? Wasn't there, wasn't it, there some sort of tension with the United States kind of pushing its weight around and, you know, manifest destiny? Uh, was, was there something about this kind of us against them? Well, more than that was the desire to diversify. So uh, Japan was looking to diversify its relations in the Americas right. that were not so concentrated in the United States only. And Mexico was also looking for the same, to mm -hmm. diversify its relations to the rest of the world and not concentrated only in the United States. So that was a common interest that they, they too had. Uh -huh. And it also coincided with uh, Japan was basically actively looking to end up the unequal treaties. Mm -hmm. So Mexico provided the opportunity. The first one. For, to, be, to sign the first one so it could be used as a precedent. That ended up in, uh, then in, in the 90s, in, in 1894, they signed an equal treaty with Britain and then with the United States and finally ended up with this. So because of that... Did anybody say thank you? I'm going there. Okay. I'm going there, precisely. Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? It was a pretty, such a pretty big deal that the Emperor Meiji was very, very pleased with it and decided to um, grant to Mexico a plot of land in the very center of Tokyo to be used to establish its uh, diplomatic um, posting, let's say. It's, it's legation, it was called at the time. It was not called embassy, it was called legation. Mm -hmm. And the legation, this plot of land, which is about uh, 5,000 square meters, was rented for 115 yen a year, which was something just symbolic. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, uh, Mexico started to uh, occupy that land and building the uh, legation of the, its uh, mission in Japan there in 1898, so 120 years ago. Okay, so before they took over that land, it was, there, there was already a property there. It must have been a, a house uh, or, a, a, I mean, it's in a, it's on a hillside, it's on a hilltop. Yeah, it's a dominant place in Nagatacho. It is, it's in Nagatacho. It's just back from uh, where the National Diet building is. It's basically next door to the official residences of the uh, um, Speaker the of the House, yes. Speaker of the House, and President of the Senate. Yeah, I think it's probably the closest. At currently, it's the closest embassy to the National Diet compound. It is. It is. It is. We are just uh, several meters, a couple of hundred, three hundred meters. Mm -hmm. um, from the National Diet building. But there was, it was basically a sort of a gardens. There were, there were no buildings there. 
Okay. So there were no buildings there, which was the reason why the imperial government could offer that. It was, no one was vacated. Okay. So it was part of the imperial gardens. So the and that's why the emperor could, could grant emperor it. He could, didn't take it from anybody. It was part of his property anyway. Not at all. It okay. was just offered. It was part of the imperial gardens, and it, then it was offered. Because at that time, they were under consideration. Of the, 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 um, they were, have already started to build Kasumigaseki and the ministry, the, the government buildings over there. And there were plans to build the national um, diet building there. That's right. So at right. uh, that time... It was just vacant, it was offered to Mexico, but it was on a hill, so it was basically a slope, you know. And Mexico built there um, a wooden building that actually stood there until the 1940s. Uh, even, it, it, it even resisted the, the, the uh, great Canto earthquake in 1923, mm -hmm. and the building was there. Also, it was still called a legation? It was called legation, Mexico. And the, who was, it wasn't an ambassador, who was the we representative? Had, we had several, uh, they were called ministers, ministers okay. in charge of the legation. They lived on the site? They live on the site. The, the building has two stories. The first one was, the first floor was the offices, and the second floor was the, the residence okay. for the diplomats, and they were living on the site. And it worked quite well. Mexico also had a consulate in Yokohama at that time. So the, let's say the consular uh, functions were separated from the diplomatic ones. Because all the foreigners were in Yokohama. That's right. Yokohama and was And the administration the, was in Tokyo. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. But, uh, and it stood there until the 1940s, until uh, the, after Pearl Harbor, Mexico uh, broke diplomatic relations with Japan. So, in fact, the Mexicans joined the United States very quickly after Pearl Harbor on this war effort. Uh, Mexico broke relations with Japan on just two days after Pearl Harbor, but then uh, it was until May 1942 that Mexico actually joined the war okay. as such. Um, well, I guess it would take that much time to kind of ramp up and you know, fix yeah, your army course. or your air force or Pre whatever and, it was. And, and just to prepare people for war. Okay. During that time, though, this legation, it was not an embassy even then. This legation was closed down. All of the uh, diplomats were arrested. If you were part of the Allied um, movement you were, and you were diplomats in Tokyo, you were under, placed under house arrest. What was mm, the story with mm, Mexico? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you what happened then. Uh, just as soon as the Mexican government notified that there was the, uh, it was breaking relations with Japan, the Japanese police came and kept the diplomats inside. And the diplomats were inside for about six months until they could be put in a ship that took them to Mozambique together with all the American diplomats and European diplomats and Latin American diplomats who were exchanged in Mozambique for Japanese diplomats all over the world and then take him back. How about that? Yeah, it, it, it was, it's, it's one of the... So, so in the Mexican legation, was it just the Mexican diplomats that were there? Because some of them knew about it beforehand and left. It must have been a skeleton crew, as it was probably with the British and the Americans. So where did they put all of these people? 
All of these uh, diplomats. Well, the legation was not too big. Uh, it was the the diplomats and their families. There were about ten people there, because mm -hmm. most of the employees were disbanded. Okay. And and delegation was disbanded for about ten years, until April nineteen fifty two. Mexico was one of the first countries to reopen an embassy in Japan after the signing of the San Francisco Treaty in 1951. And they got the same piece of land. Indeed, we were very lucky because first we sent to reopen the embassy one of the most famous Mexicans, uh, uh, literature Nobel Prize winner Octavio Paz, who was a diplomat. And he came to Japan and looked to reopen the embassy and to negotiate with the Japanese government that we could get the, the land back. It was interesting because during the war, and particularly after the American occupation in, in 1945, the land had been taken by the occupation forces to build um, barracks and uh, also some housing Mm -hmm. for the uh, the military people families so but they left and the land was vacant again so the land was allocated again same, to the Mexican same building. government uh, the building didn't exist the building was destroyed during the bombing of Tokyo okay so but we got the land back and then the Mexican government started plans to rebuild the embassy which was actually happening in 1962. In 1962, the, the, we had the first visit of a Mexican president to Japan, and he inaugurated the embassy building in Nagatacho, which is still standing there. Excellent. And you've made some additions onto the, the embassy. I mean, the, the mission here has grown since 1962. You've added new buildings. You're actually uh, quite a substantial presence now. Yeah, indeed. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, Mexico is basically the main partner for Japan in Latin America, the main economic partner and in many other uh, areas. Mm -hmm. So our relationship with Japan is quite big and we had to build an annex building, let's say, a five stories building where there are offices and an area, a multipurpose hall for economic promotion, tourism promotion, cultural events, and the promotion of Mexico in Japan. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that's kind of funny about the Mexican embassy is that it's so prominent, but it's so hidden. Most people in Tokyo don't know where it is because mm. although it's central, it's surrounded by the Prudential Tower and mm. Akasaka Mitsuke, and then the, like you said, the, the house for the Speaker of the House and the President of the House. And those are kind of off-limits areas, and it's sitting up here on, on the, the hill that occupies yeah, yeah, Akasaka Mitsuke. On top of the hill, indeed. Yeah. And yeah. so people know where the British Embassy is, the American Embassy, uh, the Indian Embassy, because they're in prominent uh, pedestrian accessible areas. But the Mexican Embassy is just kind of up in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, we are open to everybody. Yes. So, so in the event of some sort of uh, cataclysmic activity that happens in Tokyo, is the embassy a place of refuge for Mexican nationals? Does it have that kind of facility? Do you have a storehouse of, of foods? And, and can you handle um, a kind of exodus of people? Or is it not really that kind of a, of a, um, a mission? We have about uh, four to 5,000 Mexican people living in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, about 
2,000 are living in the Tokyo area. Uh, the embassy is not that big to house 2,000 people. Mm -hmm. But of course, in the, we are always, always attentive to provide support to the Mexican community in, right. in Japan. We are always uh, keeping touch with many of them mm. and uh, able to respond to um, their requests okay. of support. There's a, a Chamber of Commerce with the Mexican businesses here in Japan. Could you describe that a little bit to me? Uh, yeah, there's a, a, a Chamber of Commerce. That is, uh, there's also, we have at the embassy, um, pro-Mexico offices mm -hmm. and tourism offices and uh, economic, uh, minist uh, economic ministry offices and agriculture offices who are all of them dedicated to promote Mexican businesses mm -hmm. in Japan. And they're very um, frequently having events at the embassy to promote the different products that, that, that we have and also investment, mm -hmm. Japanese investment in Mexico. Right. Uh, Mexico is currently one of the very few countries in the world that has more than a thousand companies established. So we actually have about um, 1,200 uh, Japanese companies established in Mexico. Right, that was as, as a component of TPP, was yeah. it not? That, that TPP, you know, building factories just outside the US border and importing um, finished products into the United States, receiving exported products out and having that trade between Japan and Mexico and Mexico and the United States? Well, it is in part of that. It's also a byproduct of Mexico being just the second country that signed a free trade agreement with Japan mm -hmm. in 2004. Just after Singapore, Mexico was the, the second country that signed a, a free trade agreement with Japan. And also, of course, going into negotiation of the TPP-11, or as called a, a Comprehensive Trans-Pacific Partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. The agreement that uh, the Mexican Congress has already ratified and we are just uh, waiting for the Japanese Congress to do it. Okay. The Mexican Embassy in Tokyo is at the vanguard of diplomatic relations between Japan and the outside world. It is one of the first embassies here in Japan. What a great history. Please stay tuned. We're going to explore other remarkable embassies and their missions here in Japan. Catch you next time. Mm -hmm.